Well, I want to welcome everybody here to our Bellingham campus and a special welcome to you at Ferndale and Sutton Valley. Uh, it's been an exciting fall here and we're going to dive in a little bit deeper. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. We're starting a brand new series this weekend that I'm a little freaked out about called Arguing with God. Let me make an admission at the beginning. When I argue with my wife, I turn into a little kid. Uh, my wife will tell you when I get into an, a verbal altercation with her that I am prone to freak out, that I am prone to throw temper tantrums, and that sometimes the very best response that comes out of my mouth as a functioning adult is, oh yeah, well, <laughs> just so you know, that is not healthy in a marriage environment to speak that particular way. Neither is saying, oh, so are you, but what am I? Neither is saying, takes one to no one. Neither is saying, oh, yeah, well, you're just a big dumb head. Well, uh, neither is, thanks for that, Dr. Phil. Um, some of you tried that one, right? Uh, neither is, well, I'm right, so you can stop talking now, okay? Now, the reason that I know those don't work is because I've tried every single one of them, and that's why I'm here repenting before Jesus on a weekly basis, Okay? For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to argue with God in front of you. I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Noah and Moses and Gideon and David and Jacob and Job and Peter and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rich young ruler and the apostles, and I'm going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the God of the universe. Before I dive into that task, I'm going to set up some ground rules. Before I was the teaching pastor, Christ the King was actually the young married young family pastor. And every year we would do some classes, and one of the classes that I would teach was on conflict resolution, and the title of the class was How to Fight Fair, okay, because it's unbelievably important. Uh, I would share with young couples, this is how you fight. This is how you argue in a way that's constructive, and I would actually tell them, I want you to know something, conflict is healthy in your relationship. Conflict is healthy because it's kind of like a fire, okay? It'll burn away a lot of the junk in your relationship, and at the same time, it'll shed light on all kinds of surrounding issues. I get really nervous when I meet couples who say, we never fight, because my response to them is, then that means you're not healthy and both of you are lying right now. And I'm going to be very, very bold as we get ready to dive into this series. I'm going to say this. If you have never argued with God, I don't believe you have a healthy relationship with God. In fact, I would go so far as to say if you've never argued with God, not only is your relationship not healthy, it's also not honest and it's most certainly not real. Because we all have moments when we just kind of get sideways with the God of heaven. I argue with God regularly. And I have found that it's in those arguments, those heated conflicts, and the response of God to my heart cries that I have found a different kind of love, acceptance, and forgiveness that I ever knew or understood even existed. So before we throw down, let me throw out a couple of ground rules because these are very important, okay? These are basic rules for arguing. We're going to use them with God, but you can also use them with each other, okay? If you should ever have that task to have to try and argue with somebody, okay? Start with this one. We're going to be respectful. In this series, we're never going to lose sight of the fact that we're speaking to God. We're going to acknowledge we are the created. He is the creator. We're going to be respectful and reverent because God says in Scripture that he is an all-consuming fire and we don't want to end up as piles of ashes, okay? We're going to acknowledge he is God and we are not. Second ground rule, we're going to find some common ground. Our common ground with Jesus is found on the ground of grace, 
Okay, we all stand equal in need at the foot of God's cross. We all stand equal in need of grace, equal in need of forgiveness, equal in need of a savior. And the cross is where grace and justice actually met. So even in these disagreements, these struggles that we're going to have, we're going to expect to meet Jesus there. Another ground rule, we're going to ask more than we tell. We're going to spend some time asking questions. The one thing I'm not going to do is lecture God. I'm going to introduce you to a couple of people who lectured God and you're going to hear his response to them and, and you're going to be thankful you're not them, okay? We're going to seek to understand. We're going to hear God's heart on some tough issues. We're going to listen to God's answers whether we agree with them or not, whether we like them or not. Here's another basic ground rule. We need to own our stuff or own your stuff. Every week we're going to own our own misperceptions, wrong assumptions and ideologies we're going to own our own humanity. We're going to own our own biases. And if we have to come to God in repentance and confession, then we'll make that a part of this journey too. Here's another ground rule, to concede truth. You know, it's hard to admit when you're wrong, right? In fact, some of us actually believe that we are right all of the time. My prayer over this series is that we'll be open to God's truth and that we'll be willing to admit when we just got it wrong. When we just missed God's heart, when we bent God's truth to make ourselves feel better, or when we created a grand exception for ourselves because we just didn't like God's answer to our question. Here's the last ground rule. Don't just fight in, fight for. So a part of this journey will include not just fighting in our relationship with God, but fighting for our relationship with God. And I think you're going to be comforted with the fact that God seems to have a very special place in his heart for people who like to wrestle with him and ask hard questions and aren't satisfied with the status quo bumper sticker answers that so many of us get. So let's just dive in. A couple of months ago, I presented the gospel as part of a weekend service here at Christ the King Church. I, I told the story again. Just like I've been telling it for almost 25 years in ministry of how Jesus came to reconcile sinful mankind to, to, to God by giving his life to pay the penalty of sin so that the death sentence of sin that had been placed on us could be removed and that our relationship with God could be restored. And after the service, as we do every week, I invited people to come forward for prayer or to ask a hard question or, or just to talk to somebody or to accept Jesus. And after this particular service, a young man came forward and we had an opportunity to talk. We talked right here. I sat right here on the edge of this preaching platform. And we hung out together. And as part of the message that weekend, I used the verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Very famous verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. And the young man came and he had his outline in his hand and he'd circled the word all in that verse. All your heart all your soul, and all your strength. He'd also written down a line from a song that we'd sung that weekend. Demands my life, my soul, my all. And he circled the word all. And then this is what he said. He goes, God just seems so extreme with his demands. Why can't he be satisfied with most of them? And we talked... And he made the decision not to give his heart to Christ that night simply because God wanted all of him and he just wasn't ready to do that yet. I actually thought it was cool that he took the word all so seriously. But I went home, left that weekend, and after every one of the, after every one of the services, I had an argument with my God on the way home. And I asked questions. God, why are you so demanding? Like, why are you so demanding? 
Why can't you be satisfied with most of me? I mean, why do I have to surrender everything? Why is it that you're consumed with this word all? Why do you want all of us, all of everybody? And I was struggling with the depth of God's demand in my own life. I mean, I was grieving my, with my inability to be able to hand it over to him again and again and again. I was angry with the fact that God was ripping the word my out of our relationship because that didn't seem fair. I was sparring with Jesus about my money, my time, my family, my job, my idols. And I ended up trying to negotiate a deal on how we could work our way around this little tiny word all. I found myself whispering this thought in my brain. I put it in your outline. My life would just be so much easier if you would be happy with 97%. At least that was my number. My life would just be so much easier if you could just knock just a couple of degrees. I figured God could have 97%, but I wanted to keep about 3%. I wanted to keep about 3% of my favorite sins because I thought I was entitled. I wanted about 3% of my shame because it just seemed like I needed to keep a hold at least of some of that. I wanted to keep about 3% of my evil desires because I know everybody's got them, but I'm just like, as long as I don't act on them, we're going to call it good, right? I wanted 3% of my secrets because it just didn't seem very human to not at least have one or two good secrets. I just wanted 3% of me. That's what I wanted for myself. And I actually thought I had a pretty convincing argument, because to that argument, I added this thought. God, just think about how many more people would be attracted to you if you would just drop the all thing. Like, what if we got to the end of the service and we sang, I surrender most. I surrender most. Most to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender most. I mean, how much more attractional could that possibly be? I ended up actually in a place, a spot that I shared with a man by the name of Wilbur Reese. Wilbur Reese wrote a famous poem decades and decades and decades ago. I heard it a long, long, long time ago. It's called $3 worth of God, and it goes like this. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love another race or to pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to order about $3 worth of God, please. When I finished lecturing God about how wise it would be for him to drop the bar, the Holy Spirit basically said, you done? Finished? And then over the next couple of weeks... Through my own personal quiet time, God actually answered me from the Bible, and I wrote all of his answers to my argument in your outline. I'm going to tell you something about every single one of these weeks. These are personal, because they're the struggles that I've been walking through. You want to watch me squirm next week? Come back when I argue with God about the existence of hell, because I believe it does exist, and I wasn't really happy with my argument. So come enjoy, watch me squirm like a 
worm on the end of a hook, all right? But I ask God, why, why, why can't you be satisfied with, with just most instead of all? And this was his answer. God wants to surrender all so that he can forgive all. Listen to these words from Colossians 2.13. It says, when you were dead, when you were dead in your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave us all our sins. Do me a favor, just circle the word all. We're going to be doing it all weekend long. Circle the word all. He forgave us all of our sin. God demands all of you because in response to you, he wants to be able to forgive all of you. Every lie, every lust, every broken promise, every reckless word, every excuse, every rage, every apathetic response, every prideful defense mechanism, every self-inflicted cut, every scar, every piece of bitterness, every self-righteous judgment, every subtle prejudice, every failure. God wants to forgive all of them, big and small, significant and insignificant, every sin that was committed and every righteous act that was omitted. God wants to forgive all of it, not just most of it. He wants to forgive all so that you can experience what it feels like to be completely and totally cleansed. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God's extreme in his demand for my all because he actually wants to wash all of the garbage of my life away. Secondly, he wants to redeem all. Titus 2.14 who, meaning Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all, there's another one, circle it, from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I mean, God not only wants to forgive all of the things that we've done, he also wants to redeem everything that's ever been done to us. God wants us to experience this crazy thought that all things can work together for good, to those who have been called according to his purpose, that God can take even the junk and the victim part of your life and turn it into something beautiful. We've got a young lady in our church who was raped as a teenager. I've listened to her story time after time after time, and I just love hearing how she expresses herself when she says, God redeemed my fear. God redeemed my tragedy. God redeemed my shame. God redeemed my story. And now do you know what she does? She spends other time talking with people who've experienced that tragedy and she always has the same message. God can take that thing and he alone can make it beautiful. Only he can make it beautiful. Not only does he want to forgive all, he wants to redeem all. Here's the next one. This is what God said. He goes, no, you want to know why I demand all? It's so that I can repair all. Not just part of it, but repair all of it. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all, there it is again, circle it, by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. I mean, this is a true 12-step verse right here. It's a 12-step verse because it asks you to own your own stuff. I mean, and it's hard for us to stand here in front of God Almighty himself and admit that we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved, right? Because there's something inside of us that goes like, no, I'm not. Yes, you were. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. 
We're going to try and get beyond that kind of an argument. It's hard to acknowledge for us that much of our pain was our own doing. And that the outflow of that is that it actually caused us to hate and to be hated. But into the center of that verse, I love it when it turns on its axis and says, but then the God who demands all comes and his response to all of the damage that I've caused was to save me. Not because of anything good that I had done to try and balance the scales, but simply because he's good and kind and loving and merciful. Why else does God demand all? God demands all so that he can protect In this world today, it's so easy to feel exposed. Like nobody's really got your back and you're always just kind of wondering when the other shoe's going to drop. And into that, Philippians 4, 7, the Bible says this, and the peace of God which transcends all, there it is again, all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of these amazing rewards for totally surrendering to God and giving all is this wonderful mystical thing called God's peace. Peace in the middle of redemption. Peace in the middle of the process when when God slowly starts ripping that old religious skin off of you. Peace in the middle of chaos. Peace in the middle of struggle. Indescribable, immeasurable, all-consuming peace that God gives to us even in the midst of an argument and a struggle in order to protect our heart and our mind. So that we can actually have this kind of an honest, open conversation. Why else does God demand all? It's so that he can provide all. 2 Corinthians 9.8, one of my favorite verses in scripture, says, and God is able to make all, there it is, circle it, all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Has anybody figured out that God has a thing for the word all yet? It's just one of his favorite words. God demands all because his response to our all is grace. Now the reality is this. This is going to be another one of the arguments. God, why do people who hate you get seem to be treated better than those that love you? We're going to struggle with that. Why does it seem like the rain falls on these jerks and falls on these guys at the same time and they're good people? How do you reconcile that together? Well, can I give you a reason because of something called God's common grace. And everybody in the room right now is experiencing God's common grace. Whether you love God or don't love God, you actually are the beneficiary of God's common grace. Let me tell you how it works. Common grace is being experienced in your life right now if you're breathing. If you're not breathing, you should put up your hand and we'll get medical aid to you right away, okay? But just the fact that you just took in a breath and then exhaled it, that was a gift from God, whether you acknowledge His presence or not. Whether you believe He's the breath of life or not, you just got a gift. And it preserved your life for a couple of more seconds. And once again, if that stops at any time while I'm talking, try to put your hand up or we'll, and we'll help you. Okay, It's happened before, services like this. Common grace comes in the form of, of you having the opportunity to hear of God's love, even though you may walk out of here and reject it. Common grace woke you up this morning. 
common grace put lung or air in your lungs and a thought in your brain. Common grace fed you something today. Common grace came in the form of sunshine, no clouds. I mean, that's God's grace to you. Whether you will acknowledge it came from Him or not, that's God's unbelievable grace to everyone in this room. But this is the beautiful part of it. God wants His common grace to be personalized into a specific and personal grace that happens when you receive the grace of God for yourself and you confess your sin and repent your sin so that God's grace can remove that sin from your account so that in all things, at all times, having everything that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. That's just, that's just good Bible. Let's add one more. God demands all because he wants to save all. Listen to these words from Ephesians. Each of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. God demands all because he desperately wants to save all of us. He doesn't want to leave a single one behind. And he will put up with your obstinance and, his, and your rebellion for as long as his patience will allow him to endure until he closes that door once and for all. We're going to talk about that in the Hell series. We're going to talk about the fact that, you know, the reality is some of us go, yes, it's so beautiful that God wants to save all of us until we point out that person. And then all of a sudden, no, I love the fact that God wants to save me, but that person? Yeah, I don't know about that. That's when we want to talk about God's justice instead of God's love. That's a couple weeks away. Stick with me, all right? But the scripture does tell us that God demands all because he wants to save all, every single one of us. And the Bible offends us when it says we were all rebels. Scripture says we were actually enemies of God, but through Jesus, the one who gave all, all hope was restored for a friendship, a reconciliation with God himself, even though he's perfect and we're not. So God listed off five or six reasons why it was okay for him to demand all. And he summed them all up for me in Romans chapter 8 verse 32. With this thought, God demands all because he gave all. That's the summary. Listen to Romans 8 32. He, meaning God, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. This was the disconnect that I had in my mind. When I was arguing with God about the fact that he seemed so demanding, I got stuck somewhere. I got stuck in the idea that when God's talking about total surrender, that all he's consumed with is taking things from me. He's going to take my Friday night. He's going to take my wallet. He's going to take my girlfriend. He's going to take my relationship. He's going to take my kids. He's going to take my job. He's going to take up all of my favorite things and I'm going to get stuck with nothing. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to have to wear like a friar's abbot. I'm going to have to walk around bang myself in the head with a board just to show how dedicated I am to him. I mean, this is just going to be awesome. Sign me up. Where do I go? 
That's the way I saw it. God demands all because that's what he is. He's a taker. I read all of these verses and it just hit me. I'd never stopped to truly consider not all that he wanted to take from me, but all that he wanted to give me. And I just forgot. I forgot everything that he wanted to give over. Because this is what I learned. The more I looked at scripture and the more that I saw why God was demanding all, I saw that it wasn't just simply him ripping these things out of my life, but instead he would take something out and put something back. And then he would take something else and he would put something back. And he would take something and I'd go, no, 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 you can't have that, you can't have that. And he would say, but if you give it to me, I'll give you something better. That's grace. When you deserve nothing, that's grace. And I just, I just had to stop and shut my mouth and look back over the years that I have been a disciple of Jesus and I saw all of the times when he said, I'll take your ashes and I'll give you beauty. I'll take your chaos and I'll give you peace. I'm going to take your bondage. How would you like to experience freedom? I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to take your emptiness and I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to take your eternity and I'm going to give you salvation wrapped around it from now forever. I love the fact that God would say, I'm going to give all of me, and in response, yeah, I want all of you. Sounds like a fair trade. I got really, really quiet after my commentary, and I basically ended up with one question. How could I give anything but my all to the one who gave all for me? Let me tell you how that argument and conversation has gone over the years. <clears throat> this really is the way that I used to look at my Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus. I'd show up and I'd go, God, this is how I want my life to work. And this is my, these are basically my expectations. If I'm going to be a follower of yours, this is what I'm looking for. These are my terms. I want a happy life. I want this to go easy. I don't want any big sickness. don't want any layoffs. not looking for any of that kind of stuff at all. I want a happy life. If you love me, that's what I'm looking for. I want a happy family. None of my kids are in jail. That's how this is going to work, all right? We're just not going there. My wife's going to be happy. My son's going to be happy. My daughter's going to be happy. And that is going to make me happy. And that's going to be good. Because after all, what I really care about is being happy. So if you could get with my program, that would be awesome because apparently this is supposed to be all about my happiness. I also want no financial stress. I want to make sure there's money in the bank all the time. I don't want to ever have to pray the Lord's Prayer and mean it. I want to be able to walk to the fridge or walk to the bank and have everything taken care of. And if you love me, that's what I'm looking for. I need a house with Wi-Fi. Okay, some of you are freaking out right now because you're used to this nice digital television. This is analog, for those of you who don't know, okay? We're going old school. But I want a house with Wi-Fi because I want to be current. I need to be connected. 
And when I'm not good with you, I don't want to be able to Facebook all my friends and find out just how many people like me. So they can just hit the button, like, 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 like. <laughs> I want health and I better have safety. You better bubble wrap me and put a helmet on me everywhere I go. Whether I wear my seatbelt or not, these are my terms. God's sign here. Can we be honest? Isn't that the way most people do it? Let's just be honest. Come on, God, here's my list. You don't come through with the list. You don't love me, and I'm angry. Can I totally devastate your weekend? God doesn't work this way. God will not endorse your list. In fact, this week after arguing with him about just how demanding he was, this is what he slid across the desk of my life. He didn't even fill it in. You sign first. You call yourself a disciple? You need to trust your rabbi enough to put your John Henry right down here first. And then God will start writing things in. I'm going to give you this so you understand what grace really is. I'm going to redeem your wreckage so you understand what other people's pain is. And I will never leave you or forsake you and we're going to find out whether you actually believe that. And I'm going to give you a family all of whom have the same free choice that you have and we're going to find out whether or not they're actually going to follow me or not. And that's between me and them, not you and me. So Grant, you sign here. Those are my terms. And don't forget, the reason that I get to ask for all is because I gave all. I love having a Jesus that always goes first and then says, follow me. just take a moment and pray right now. Jesus, would you help those of us who have been dictating terms to you to admit that? Would you give us the courage to admit that we're wrong? God, I thank you for your answers. I, I, don't, I don't claim to understand all of them, but I know that you do love all. So Lord, would you just, would you drop this 18 inches from our brain into our heart right now? God, I pray that if we have been living for your endorsement saying, just need you to fill, just you to sign right here, God, Lord, I pray that we would exchange that for a blank sheet of paper with our name at the bottom. Lord, I thank you that it seems a little irrational that you would ask for everything and yet when I look at what you gave and what you want to give, I am awestruck by that demand. So Father, I pray for every brother and sister in the room.
whatever is in there, 3%, I pray that it would be held out to you today. I thank you for arguing with us. May we live with your truth this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to hand over the services in Sun Valley and Ferndale to their campus pastors right now, and I thank you guys for joining us.